Okay, so it's not of works. Is it of works, yes or no? Um, Is it free grace, yes or no? Okay, so where do our works come into place? I'm going to teach you because today in part five, I want to talk to you about this. Amazing works. Amazing works. We are saved completely by grace. Okay, it is a free gift. Uh, In other words, you know, every week I like to give you some type of illustration, something to remember. So imagine that I have this big box of grace here and it's a free gift and I'm following you around and I'm trying my best to hand it to you, okay? Everybody has a part in salvation. Your part is you got to receive it. I could follow you around and I could, you know, hold it up to your head and I could chase behind you and I could say, please, please, please take this, take this. But if you don't receive it, you don't get it. So you do have a part and you receive it by faith, right? But it's a gift. It's a free gift. Nothing you do to earn this. Nothing. It's unmerited favor. It's God's kindness and favor poured out on you. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can do, nothing you can do. It's a free gift. Understand? Free. Everybody say free. Free. Imagine I give it to you, and then after you take it, you can take it. I say, okay, now you open it up, and then then I say this. Okay, that'll be $63.45. Does anyone do that at Christmas? Other than when my kids take my credit card and buy my Christmas present for me. But other than that... Gifts aren't supposed to cost you anything. It's a free gift, right? Everybody say free gift. So then where do our works come into place? In other words, why does it matter how we live on earth? Now, the word works, for those of you that are unchurched, works is a New Testament word that describes things you do. There are good works and bad works. You can do good things, you can do bad things. Uh, Good works would be forgiving people. Good works is believing the best. Good works is encouraging and speaking highly of people. Uh, bad works is unforgiveness and sexual immorality and drunkardness and, um, and gossip and strife and racism and things. That's all bad works, okay? Bad works don't get you into hell. Good works don't get you into heaven. It's a free gift. Everybody say free gift. Free okay, gift. then why does it matter how we live on earth? Why does it matter? If you can get to heaven simply by receiving the free gift, why does it matter if you come to church? Why does it matter if you serve? Why does it matter if you give? What is the purpose of works? I'm going to teach you that today. Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says, God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Every work, every work into judgment. 1 Peter 1, 17, he judges all people according to each man's work, so you must honor God while you live on earth. Now, according to these scriptures, you're going to be judged based on how you live on earth. But you say, well, I thought grace was free, and I thought we get to, we get to heaven is free, salvation free. It is. But then how do we understand you're going to be judged by how you live, and you're still going to heaven you know, by the grace of God? Here's what we need to determine. Our belief versus our behavior. For your notes, belief versus behavior. Your belief determines where you spend eternity. Your behavior determines how you spend eternity. Your belief determines whether you spend eternity in heaven or hell. Your behavior determines if you get rewards and what position you have in heaven and if you get what type of punishment you have in hell. The unbeliever who is a giver and who serves and helps out charities is not going to have the same punishment in hell as Hitler. The believer who joined the church and served and tithed and gave and forgave and spoke encouraging words and, 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 and taught Sunday school and and, and, and was part of short groups and, and helped people, that believer will have higher rewards and a different position in heaven than the believer who just lived a sloppy life, didn't come to church, and didn't serve. There's cities all through heaven. There's galaxies. There's going to be people that are going to need to be governors over cities, the Bible says. Um, you can store up treasures in heaven. You're going to need treasures. And here's the thing is, whenever you die and you're judged uh, by your works, 
what you get that day, that your day of judgment, it's what you have forever and ever and ever in billions of centuries. There's no getting to heaven and then climbing up and then getting different positions. What you get is what you get for billions of centuries. And I'm going to teach you that today, okay? So the first thing you need to know is, number one, there's a judgment of faith. The judgment of faith. This is solely based on grace. Judgment of faith determines heaven or hell. Um, one of my favorite scriptures on the grace of God when it comes to salvation is, uh, you see my tattoo? I have the, the, the cross that Jesus was on and then the little cross next to it. It represents the thief that was on the cross next to Jesus. Luke 23, 42. This guy, now listen, he, never, he didn't do a single good work. In fact, he did such bad works, he's being crucified for his sins. Okay, such bad works. He never went to church. He never gave, never served. He was never water baptized, even though we should do it. And it was a command of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't do any of that stuff. And yet, here's all he did. On the cross, 60 seconds before he takes his last breath, he simply says this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He never walked an aisle. He never worshiped and sang praises. He never joined the, the singers or the musicians at church. He never served as an usher. He never taught Sunday school. That's all he said. And Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. That is grace, my friends. That is grace. That is grace. Now, if you're thinking, well, I'm just going to live however I want to, and then right before I die, I'm going to say, you know, Lord, save me. Okay, <laughs> number one, you don't know when you're going to die and how you're going to die. And number two, if you think like that, you're really not saved in the first place. I just want to make sure you understand. Okay, so grace. Now, here's something I want to teach you about the judgment of faith. Very important. This judgment does not occur after you die. God does not decide if you go to heaven or hell. You decide that. This is not decided after you die. It's decided while you're on earth. Whether you go to heaven or hell is not determined after you take your last breath. That is determined, my friends, while you are still on this earth breathing. This is your chance. If you leave church today and Jesus is not the Lord of your life, and you get in a car wreck or you have a brain aneurysm or a heart attack and you die, listen, you've already made your decision. It's not going to happen after you die. God does not determine if you're going to heaven or hell. You get to choose that yourself. This is the, the judgment of faith takes place on earth. If you've received the free gift, you're going to heaven. If you haven't, you are not. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, which is our memory verse for this series, but I want us to keep reading. It says, for by free grace you're saved through faith. Nothing you did but a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now let's keep reading. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, everybody say for, for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why does he want us to walk in good works? Here's why. Because they're good. It's good to do good works. That's why he called it good. Because it's actually good. Now there's two prepositions I want you to look at. I know if you hadn't been to high school with preposition, you don't know that is. But here's what we're going to We're looking at the word by and for. We're saved by grace for good works. We're not saved um, by good works for grace. In other words, you don't do good things, and because you did good things, you get grace. You're saved by His grace. By His grace. But here's why you're saved. One of the reasons is so you can actually do good works. Good works are good. In fact, one of the tests, and I'll show you next week or in the next few weeks, to know if you're saved or not is what your works look like. If you have to struggle so hard to do good works, you might not be saved. But if it comes naturally to you, then, may, but then that's, a, that's a key that you've received God's grace in your life. We are saved by grace for good works. So good works are good. Everybody say good works are good. good, works are good. 
So don't forget now, your judgment of faith is while you're on earth. Okay, here's number two. Number two is the judgment seat of Christ. This is the believer's judgment of works. If you're a believer, the second you take your last breath, you're immediately judged based on your works. Now you're going to heaven. Every believer is at the judgment seat of Christ. Every unbeliever is at the great white throne of judgment, but every believer, every believer, they show up at the judgment seat of Christ. This is based on how you lived your life. In other words, it's important how you treat people. God cares how you treat people. He cares how you spend your money. He cares the word. The Bible says that every word we've spoken will be judged. Every word. That probably includes things you put on Facebook as well. Okay? It's all going to be judged. I know some of y'all are going to already deleting stuff right now. Wait till after the sermon's over. We aren't, we're not going to judge you. We're going to wait till we're going to actually we're looking behind the stage now. People looking at y'all's Facebook page right now. And we're going to put it right up there on the screen for everybody to see. I'm just kidding. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5.10. We must all appear. And he's talking to the church of Corinth, to Christians. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one, everybody say each, may receive his pay according to what he's done in his bodily life, both good or evil, considering his purpose. Now, this is the scariest word, I think, in the whole Bible. Considering his purpose and his motive. That is such a scary word. What he has achieved, been busy with, and given himself and his attention to accomplishing. Let me ask you about your motives. Why do you do what you do? Why do you want to teach Sunday school? Why do you want to lead a short group? Why do you want to sing on stage? Why do you want to play an instrument? Why do you want to preach or teach? Why do you give? Why do you do the things you do? Because listen, all these good works you've done, if you did them with the wrong motives, you will not have any reward in heaven for that. I can show you a scripture in Matthew 6, 1. Do not do good deeds in order to be seen by men. Otherwise, you will have no reward. Um, there was a, a, a lady years ago when I first started uh, pastoring and she had a really great voice and, um, and she'd help us sing on a mic every now and then and one Sunday she sang a solo, one of my favorite songs and it was so good. She had such great talent. At the end of the solo, the, you know, it was a small church at the time, real small. We all just stood up and gave her a clap. It was just so special. The following week, we had other people that, you know, wanted to sing. We only had a certain amount of microphones because we're a new church just starting out. And so um, we asked her, we said, would you mind letting someone else sing this Sunday on the microphone? Man, you would have thought I'd asked her for her firstborn child. Um, she held her fist in the air. She was a little, little thing. And she said, um, if you don't let me sing on a microphone, I'm not singing at your church. And when she said that, here's what came through my head was, that clap that we gave you last Sunday, that's all you got. You didn't get any reward. We see where your motives are at. We see why you're doing what you're doing. So whatever you got on earth from your talented voice is all you're going to receive. There's going to be no rewards for you for that because your motives were wrong. Everybody say motives. Uh, let's look at, let's see, 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 12 through 15. If anyone builds on the Jesus Christ with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw. Now I want you to see something. There's six different things you can build on here. The first three can make it through a fire. The last three are flammable. The reason you need to know that is because there's a fire coming, even for believers. But the fire that comes for believers is different from the fire that comes from unbelievers. The fire that comes from believers is used to test the motives of everything we did to serve Jesus while we were on earth. It says, uh, for the work of each one will become openly known when the day of Christ or His judgment exposes it. 
On that day, fire will reveal everyone's work. The fire will test the character and real quality of the work each person has done. If any man's work survives this test, he will get his, what is it? Reward. But if it, now, let me, this, this is an amazing theological scripture. Amazing. This is grace versus works right here. Look at this last sentence. If it's burn up, he'll lose everything, all reward, though he himself will be saved. Isn't that amazing? You'll make it to heaven, but you'll have no rewards up there. You know, one of the ways you can test your motives is to see how you act when you don't get your way. That's a really big way to test motives. Or how you act when you're instructed or when you're corrected. How you respond to things like that shows where your heart really is. We all think that our motives are right. We all think that we're just so good and, oh, I'm just serving God because I just love Him so much. But the truth is there's hidden motives in all of us. We want to be noticed. We want people to like us because of things we do. We want to be seen sometimes. And if, it's, if that's your heart, I suggest you ask God to change you quickly because I want y'all to have rewards in heaven. I don't want y'all to get up to heaven and there be nothing there for you. Um, I remember years ago, my, my, my number one sport all growing up was soccer. I still play now. I still coach soccer. We had a game yesterday. And um, I, my parents sent me to this, this soccer camp in Charleston when I was little. And when you get there, they immediately separate you into age groups. And the first day I recognized that I was much more talented than everyone else my age. Uh, they had juggling contests where juggling is where you try to keep the ball off the ground. And the kids were doing 40, maybe 50 times. I could easily get over 100, easily. They had penalty shot contests. Out of 15, they'd do 10, 11. I could get 15 out of 15. I mean, it's just, just a bunch. So the first day after I recognized that I was, you know, not being challenged, I decided to goof around. And I played tricks on kids, and I made fun of kids, and I just wasn't being a good guy. And when they were having contests, I intentionally messed up the contest and just stuff like that. The last day of camp, they walk us into this auditorium, and all of our parents have arrived to pick us up. And we're happy to see our parents and everything. And then all of a sudden, at the front table, right at the stage, there was a table full of trophies. And I was like, what in the world? How come nobody told me there was going to be trophies? And they called out one kid who juggled 85 times. And I thought, I could have easily done over 100. The next kid got 12 out of 15 penalty shots. I thought, what? This whole time, I had no idea there was going to be rewards. So I goofed off and played around. I wasted the talent God gave me. Now here's the thing. I was at the camp because my father paid full price. My father paid full price. I received the gift of going to that camp. I enjoyed myself. I had fun. But at the end of the week, how disappointed was I that I didn't get a single trophy? And I wonder, unfortunately, how many Christians are in churches all over the world where they have the thought, well, as long as I feel good and enjoy my life and I'm going to heaven, then nothing else matters. We need to be very thankful that we're in a church where we don't distort the truth or water down the truth so you know what you're doing is wrong and what you're doing is right so you can get some rewards in your life for all of eternity. These are eternal rewards. That means the day you get them is what you have forever and ever and ever and ever, billions of centuries from now. Luke 19, 11 and 17, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like this. The excellent servant who's been faithful with little will actually get to be governor over ten cities. 
He's, Jesus needs people to teach in heaven. There's positions. There's governing positions. Yeah, the Bible actually says we're going to sit down and listen to Abraham, Isaac, um, and Jacob teach. There's positions for worship leaders in heaven. All of this is determined by how you live on earth. Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking. I can read some of y'all's mind. Y'all are thinking this. I'll be happy just being the janitor. If I can just make it to heaven, don't raise your hand if you thought that, because I know some of y'all, if I can just make it to heaven, I'll be happy just to be the janitor. I had lunch with a friend of mine a few weeks ago who doesn't go to church here, and I was telling him about my sermons on grace, and I was talking about this, and he said that. He said, oh man, if I can just make it to heaven and be a janitor, I'll be happy. Let me tell you why that's not healthy thinking, okay? I have two analogies, and, um, and they're not good, but they're the best I could come up with, okay? So I'll just say that. You know, um, the arcades today are different than they used to be when I was a kid. When I was a kid, you actually put quarters in a machine, and you actually got tickets out, and you go, okay. Nowadays, everything goes on a card. You know, and when I was a kid, you know, you put a quarter in, you have fun for like three or four minutes. Nowadays, $100 is like 10 minutes of fun. But anyway, and so I go to the arcade with my kids, you know, and they give you the cards, and you swipe the card to play the game. I don't know if y'all know this. Some of y'all look like you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> You need to go to the arcade and have some fun if you have $500 to spend. But anyway, and so you swipe the card, and then when you win, the tickets electronically go on the card. You know that? Yeah, like at Dave & Buster's, that's how it works, okay? So imagine you go to Dave & Buster's, and somebody pays for you to play. And you have so much fun, and you enjoy yourself. And then when you're done, you throw the card in the trash can. And as you're walking out, you look, and you see this huge room filled with prizes and all these other people, your friends, your kids, your parents, they're all getting prizes for their tickets that they won, but you threw your card away. Now tell me something inside you wouldn't think. I wish I had known there were prizes so I could walk out with something. We'd all think that. Let me give you another analogy, okay? This one's just as bad. Um, <laughs> okay, let's pretend like you live in Africa in a small tribe that does not have any running water or electricity. You have to kill animals to get your food and eat, and this is just how you live. You've been there for, let's say, 22, 23 years. Somebody comes to you and says, listen, I'll pay for you to live in America. You'll have a one-bedroom apartment. Um, you have electricity, running water, but here's the key. You have to work for minimum wage, 60 hours a week for the rest of your life, and you have to ride a bicycle everywhere you go, and you have to live in this one-bedroom apartment. You can never get anything else. Now, if you're in Africa in a tribe with no running water or electricity, you'd be excited to live in America, right? You'd love it. But after you're in America in your one-bedroom apartment, riding a bicycle, uh, working minimum wage 60 hours a week, after you've been doing that for, let's say, five or 6,000 centuries, and everyone else you see, they're living in mansions, and they're, you know, they're riding on... on on, on, what's a heavenly car? Accord, a Honda Accord. The Bible says the wise men were all in one accord. So the Accord, you know, that's a Bible car. And, and they're, they're, you know, they're governor. Of, tell me you wouldn't think, I wish I had lived my life differently when I was on earth. We'd all have that thought. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Don't store up riches for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy. Instead, store up treasures for yourselves in heaven. Um, everybody remember the phrase, treasures in heaven. Can you all remember that? I mean, you remember for five minutes, treasures in heaven. Um, here's my question to you. What are you doing now that will actually last for all of eternity? I mean, in all seriousness, what are you doing? And teenagers, young people, the same. Like, you can start saving up right now treasures in heaven. 
by how you live, how you treat people, how well you serve, how you give. You can actually do things today that'll be there when you get to heaven. However many years. Wouldn't that be amazing? And let me just say this. In all honesty, some of y'all that are married, some of your spouses serve with greater excellence and a bigger heart and their words are more encouraging. Listen, you're not going to be married in heaven. You'll be married to Jesus. You'll be married to each other. Don't you want to have a mansion near your spouse? I mean, I, I wrote a book on heaven, uh, so if you want to pick it up, it's in the, it's in the uh, vestibule in there. But there's different, there's the city of heaven and there's different galaxies and places that will live. It's all based on your service on earth. All of that. Um, the believer, the believer who serves God, comes to church, um, uh, gives, um, helps others, has, a, has the right attitude, right motives, they're going to receive greater rewards than the believer who's just very slack with their life, in all honesty. Okay, point number three. Are you enjoying this? Because some of y'all are like, y'all are a little paralyzed. I can stop now before we get to the hell part. The hell part's my favorite. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Point number three is this. The great, listen, I know this is a very, this is a very um, sobering sermon. Listen, next week I'll be funny and we're going to all laugh and have fun, okay? But today's very serious. The great white throne of judgment. This is the unbeliever's judgment of works. The great white throne of judgment. Every um, unbeliever will be at this judgment the second that they die. The, the, the great white throne of judgment, unbeliever's judgment of works. Okay, uh, and here you'll see why they call it the, 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 the great white throne right here. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a, what does it say? Great white throne. Yep, and theologians are so smart the way they come up with things like that. So a great white throne and the one who sits on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and were seen no more. I saw the dead, great and small alike, standing before the throne. Now this part right here, I want you to see the tenses of the word book and books. It says books, plural, were open. Then another book, singular, was open. The book of life. Remember the Lamb's book of life? Uh, that if you're a saved believer... That the blood of Jesus has written your name in the Lamb's book of life. It says, uh, the dead were judged or sentenced according to what they had done, there's works, as recorded in the books. In other words, everything we do is recorded in books. Then the sea gave up its dead. Death and hell gave up the dead they had. And all were judged according to what they had done. According to their, here's the big, nasty, scary word, motives and works those who did not have their name written in the book of life were thrown into the lake of fire listen the unbeliever and i'm sure you can think of some unbelievers on television who give millions of dollars to charities but they're not saved they will not have the same punishment as hitler but let me tell you something if you're in hell <laughs> it doesn't matter how horrible the punishment is it's hell it's, it's darkness forever blackness the bible calls it um, you're away, you'll never see your children, you'll never see your spouse, you'll never see your parents ever again if they were believers. And if they weren't believers, you still won't see them in hell because it's all blackness. It's still hell. It's important you understand that. But that unbeliever who gave to charities will not have the same punishment as Hitler. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty. Oh, oh, okay, wait, this is my favorite part, okay? Now, let's all wake up and let's pretend like that you're going to love this part as much as I do, okay? This is, where I, this is the part I really love. This is the, some really great theological... The, it's really good. Okay, ready? So, Matthew eleven twenty. Watch this. I love this. Jesus began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. That's so important. If you got your Bible open, you want to underline that. Most of his mighty works. Now, he's about to rebuke three cities we're going to look at. 
where most of his mighty works were done. Everybody say most. Okay, watch now. Ready? Here we go. Um, because they didn't repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. I assure you that on the judgment day of God, it'll actually be more tolerable or less suffering for Tyre and Sidon than for you. People of Capernaum, there's number three, do you think you'll be honored in heaven? It goes on to say, you will go down to hell. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, remember Sodom and Gomorrah, God destroyed it, total sexual morality, um, evil, killing, murders, abuse, and they were so evil, God destroyed it. And here's what Jesus says. Sodom would have remained until this day. In other words, if they had seen the stuff you saw, they would have never been destroyed. But it'll be more tolerable or less suffering for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Now, let me explain it to you. Jesus is talking about different torments of hell. And take me back to the verse before where it shows the three cities. Um, I want you to picture up here. I should have had my whiteboard, but... Um, imagine the Sea of Galilee is a big circle, Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, when he was on earth, he did most of his mighty works around that area, okay? And it lists three cities. It says Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, okay? Chorazin's on the, never eat sour walnuts, northwest. And, um, and Chorazin's northwest. Bethsaida's the northeast. And then if you go up with both of them, you see Capernaum, okay? So it's a triangle above the Sea of Galilee. Watch. The theologians call this the evangelical triangle. Because it is where most of his mighty works were seen and done. Are you still with me? Yeah. Most of his mighty works, these three areas, made a triangle above the Sea of Galilee, the, theolog- the, the evangelical triangle. Okay, everybody got it. Most of his mighty works. Here's what he said. Let me, let me modernize this scripture. You can take me to the next part of it now. Let me modernize this. You live in the buckle of the Bible belt. You live where there's a church on every corner. You live where there's preachers on every television channel. His radio, K-Love on your car. You have Google in your pocket and you can look up 10 translations of the Bible anytime you want to. God has put you in a country where you can freely worship Him. You can, listen, you can turn on the TV and hear a preacher on TBN anytime you want to. You have so much truth available to you. The mighty works of Jesus are all around you. And you still won't repent. And you still won't give your life to me. Here's what he says. On the day of judgment, hell's going to be worse for you than even the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's powerful. Is that not crazy? Maybe the second service will love it. I love it. That's crazy. I mean, can you believe? He's he's telling them, and I'm going to show this to you at the end of the sermon, but he's telling them, You have so much possibility, opportunity. I've given you talents that you can actually use. Some people are in countries, they can't even use their talents for Jesus. I've given you money. Some people are starving and you have the finances to build the kingdom of God. You have the time and energy. You don't work 80 hours a week like some of them. All the things that you could do for the kingdom of God and you didn't and you refuse to even give your life to Christ. When you're surrounded by believers everywhere you go, churches on every corner, friends at work, people telling you about Jesus, and all you do is come to church and spectate, and you've never surrendered your life to Him? It should be so easy for you to serve Him, and yet you still refuse? Man, that is some stinking, awful, nasty stuff right there. Romans 2.5 says this, 
You refuse to repent. You have a stubborn heart. Remember I told you the phrase to remember, treasures in heaven? Watch this. It's so amazing that he uses these words. You're storing up treasures of wrath on the day of wrath when the day of the judgment of God will be revealed. I feel like today, I feel like I'm a doctor and I'm giving you a medical factual report. I feel like I have a a factual report that says this. Uh, Listen, you're dying of a disease. You have a deadly disease called sin. But here's the good news. Here's a fact. There's a cure. You can have a blood transfusion through Jesus Christ and you won't have to suffer from that anymore. That's what I feel like I'm telling you today. Amen. It's fair. I know it's difficult to receive. Let me, let me, um, I'm going to close with some of this stuff. Watch this. In proportion to the manifestation of God is the rightful expectation of obedience in our life. Let me tell you what this means. Uh, have you ever had the thought, um, you know, the God of the Old Testament is mean and the God of the New Testament's nice? You know, the God of the Old Testament, there was one time where the Israelites, some of them were doing wrong. He opened up the earth and he sucked them down through an earthquake and killed them. And these were his people. And I know you're thinking, well, that's just so mean of him. Okay, listen. In proportion to the manifestation of God. In other words, to the level that God has blessed you and you have seen him in your life is the level to which every one of you are going to be judged because you're expected to obey him in that level. Um, Let me say this. If you have a million dollars in the bank, you're expected to do more than the person that has $10 in the bank. If you have a talent that reaches here that people are just blown away by, you have a responsibility to use that talent based on this person that wasn't given that. You're going to be judged in proportion to what God has done in your life. We're not judged equally. I'll show you that in a second. We're not judged equally. Um, Old Testament, okay? God delivers them from their enemies. Has God delivered you? Are you living in a free country right now? Yes, okay? Um, God gave them gold and jewels from their enemies. Do you have money in the bank? Of course you do. God healed them, gave them, healed the firstborn from dying. He turned the Nile River into blood. He led them by a fire at night and a cloud by day. He spoke to them. Their leader held up a stick and water parted. They turned around and saw their enemy drown. You are free. You're blessed. You've been delivered. And after all that, they still, some of them still worshiped idols. After all that, they still had excuses not to lift their hands and worship God. After all that, they still wouldn't sing. After all that, they still wanted more. Well, why won't you do this for me? And why won't you change this in my life? And if you'll just give me this miracle, then I'll sing and clap and dance and serve and give. After all that, you still have a hard and stubborn heart. You know what you're storing up? You're storing up wrath on the day of wrath if you are not a believer. And sometimes I wonder by how we live if we're all really believers or not. By what we say, the Bible says that you can judge your heart by what comes out of your mouth. Some of y'all, you need, your, you need to put some spiritual soap in your mouth by what comes out of it. <laughs> a godly lifestyle is the result of a healthy relationship with Jesus. It is not the means. Um, let me just tell you this. There are 12 New Testament scriptures that say if you're continually sexually immoral, if you're continually drunkard or cause strife, that you're going to hell. 12 New Testament scriptures say that you're going to hell. Now, Let me tell you what theologians debate. Half of them say, well, they were never saved in the first place. But saved people don't do this. The other half say you can lose your salvation because there are places in the Bible that say a covenant can be broken. uh, The Bible likens salvation to marriage. And can a marriage covenant be broken? Yes, it can. It's called divorce. So it can be broken. There are covenants can be broken, and there are people that think they're saved and not saved. Okay, let me tell you what I think because I'm your pastor. Here's what I think. I don't care. I don't care if it's you weren't saved. 
I don't care if it's your word and you lost it. I care. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. That's what I, I don't care why, who, what happened. If you have not received the free gift, you need to receive it. Amen. It'll change. And listen, if you're struggling today and you're battling things, receive more grace. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that can sustain you in this life. Our life should represent the fact that we're actually saved. The way we treat people. Oh, what a great sermon this is. <clears throat> I'm going to listen to it three times today when I get home. And if you think that you're going to live however you want to, because you're saved, well, I'm saved by grace, so I can just do whatever I want. You might not be saved. And I know, listen, and for those of y'all visiting, y'all tell the visitors how much funny I normally am. I'm normally real funny, right? We're all, we all have fun in here, okay? Today is not like that. <laughs> but y'all make sure, when the visitors leave, y'all better tell them that, He's really good. Okay, two scriptures and I'm done. Um, let me ask you this. Will anybody in this room um, be judged? At di- we'll all be judged at different levels. Who's going to be judged the harshest in this room? I will. Do you know why? James 3.1. We should not all try to become teachers, for you know that teachers will be judged by a higher standard and with greater severity than other people. Teachers shall receive, shall receive a stricter... Now, who wants to volunteer to teach Sunday school now? This is why all of our short groups, we don't ask for teachers. We ask for facilitators. That way you're not put in the position. You just have to facilitate. And we do have some great teachers in our church, and they're going to be judged. Good luck, Mona, with that. And so, but listen, do you know every time you give somebody advice, you've put yourself in a position of a teacher? That's why I remember Jesus said it's better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and throw yourself in the sea than to lead one of my children astray. You know how many people, times people teach on Facebook, they try to teach stuff, and they, get the, they did it all wrong, and people believe this stuff? God's going to judge them. What a great sermon, and God's going to judge us. Hell. <laughs> okay, listen, I believe, listen, if you're saved, you're going to heaven, so no worries. Okay, last scripture, and this proves the whole sermon today. Who do you think is going to have the most rewards out of everybody in this room? Now, that's a fair question. Because the disciples of Jesus actually asked him, which one of us, who, who you tell me, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Very valid question. And here's the answer. Matthew 23, 11. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the greatest servant who humbles himself. Let me tell you what a, a humble servant does. A humble servant says, listen, I'll sing on a microphone and I'll clean the bathrooms if you need me to do that. A humble servant says, listen, I'll give to this area, but don't tell anybody about it. Don't tell anybody about it. A humble servant, um, listen, a humble servant always recognizes they need to grow. A humble servant loves instruction, loves correction. Proverbs, all through Proverbs it says, if you love construction, uh, instruction, if you love being corrected, that's how you'll grow in wisdom. A humble servant. A humble servant doesn't get offended. A humble servant doesn't care if they're asked to preach or if they're asked to stand at the back of church and usher. A humble servant does whatever it takes to build the kingdom of God. That's what a humble servant does. And at the end of our life, we will be judged by how teachable, humble, and moldable we were in relation to how much truth was available to each one of us. Because you know, you have, the, you have people that are in, let's say, in Africa, in Jamaica, some third world country somewhere. And they don't have 10 translations of the Bible in their pocket. They don't have a bank account. They don't have a car. But man, the second they get a Bible, they just can't wait to find truth. If a preacher comes through their town, they can't wait to hear it. If, if, a, if a church actually gets started in their area, 
They show up two hours early. They can't wait to serve. I've been places like this. They can't. They Listen, they will walk. We were in Jamaica. They'll walk for an hour in heat like you couldn't imagine. I mean, you could see my whole clothes were sticking to me. All, they're like I'd baptized somebody in, in all my clothes. And they, they're so happy coming to church. And they'll worship for hours. Amen. Now listen, I don't want you to be upset when you get to heaven. And that person is governor over ten cities. And you're given a mop and a broom and asked to sweep up, you know, there. Listen, it matters how you live on earth. 